So what does this all mean? We've been telling stories, talking about a small part of the Christian church, a small group of people who were faithful in a difficult time. And the question faces us in our generation, how do we pass on the teachings of Jesus in our families, in our communities, in our churches? I mentioned this morning the verse from Second Chronicles, men who understood the times. And the responsibility in those days primarily fell on leadership to lead their people. And leaders need to lead and face the issues. There is the ongoing need to teach the faith to the rising generation. We often assume that our youth know our beliefs. But let's recognize that simply instruction classes, particularly if converts are young, are not enough. Stories need to be told and retold. Our schools need to relate our faith stories. Fathers, others, when you come to have chapel and tell stories, tell the stories from your life how God has been faithful. It doesn't need to be just in this area of non-resistance that we were talking about, but making sure that we have a living faith that our young people can hear about. This is how God worked in my life at this time. Everyone loves a story. Everyone loves a story with a, a, a struggle. And be honest in telling the stories of your struggles and what God has taught you through the years. Parents, grandparents, Sunday school teachers, school teachers, tell the story. A friend of mine was, was telling the story to his little twins when they were little and he told about how the, the rabbit uh, came into the, the lettuce, into the pat, patch and ate lettuce. And he ate some more lettuce. And he ate some more lettuce. Ate some more lettuce. And father said, that's the end of the story. And the daddy, that wasn't a story. He said, why not? And the child said, there was no fox. <laughs> In other words, the conflict was there and has to be resolved. And these stories that I told, uh, non-resistant stories, there, there, was, there was conflict, there was, was struggle. There were not easy answers. So tell the stories. Yes, in our congregations, it's been a long time since many of our people faced war experiences. Um, my generation faced Vietnam, and a number of us went through alternative service experiences uh, during that time. But many of the young people growing up, these stories are ancient history. The people in, that were in World War II, almost all gone. The ones in between World War II and the Korean War are, are aging rapidly. And so we need to tell the stories. And if you have stories in your congregation, stories in your families, 
Make sure that they are told. Make sure that they are discussed. Make sure that people know them. Peace education is very important. John Funk claimed that at the time of the Civil War, that non-resistance was almost forgotten. And as a, that's probably partly his problem because as a young man, he went to Chicago and he wanted to get rich and he wanted to pursue a career and he got all caught up in politics and those kind of things. And somewhere in the middle of his career, God got hold of him and he committed himself to Christ and also committed himself to uh, the Mennonite church and became active in promoting the doctrines of the church. I don't think things were as dead as he thought they were because all through these times, young people were accepting the teachings of Christ as were taught by their parents and modeled by their parents, even though their parents were not the best speakers, even though some of their preachers were not the best preachers, but they simply caught the life of their parents, caught the life of their community. And so one of the lessons we can learn from the Mennonite experience in the Civil War is, is, is learn stories and tell the stories of them and pass them on, making sure that each generation hears those stories of faith. What stories do you have in your congregation? Experiences people have had, men in alternative service as an alternative to military service, or stories of people who are finding a different path from what they went through when they were young. You see, it's not just a matter of, yes, someone did it right. In Pennsylvania, there was a young man who went against the teachings of his parents and was very active in the Civil War for about three years. But he came back to his community. And he decided to come back to his faith community and he became a follower of Christ and was baptized into the church. Eight years later, he was ordained as a minister in that congregation. His congregation knew his experiences in the war, although he said, I, said I, I, I was very sure that he had never killed or injured anyone when he was in the, in the Civil War. But he came back and his community accepted him and called him because of his commitment and skills to be a minister. There are some stories that didn't happen like that. Young men who came back and were never really accepted in their communities and uh, never, uh, never came back to their Mennonite or Amish roots. And so there's a, as a matter of, of love and forgiveness and acceptance as people come to follow Christ. Samuel Kaufman that I mentioned, his cousins all went off into other churches and were in the Confederacy while he and his family took a stand for non-resistance. So tell the stories, but they have to be learned. They have to be known. And those who know the stories have to speak up and, uh, and, and talk about them. Another thing we can learn is that there are 
that non-resistance and non-conformity uh, tend to stand and fall together. The more acculturated a community gets, the more they accept the way of life of their neighbors around them that do not reflect the teachings of the Bible, the less non-resistance is emphasized and the more it is lost. Southwestern Pennsylvania, Westmoreland County, had a large Mennonite community. Two meeting houses, 200 members, a very active community. Within a generation, they were down to 20 old members. They lost the whole generation of young people, both to civil war, uh, to an overemphasis on getting educated, and an overemphasis on getting wealthy. One of the strong pillars of that congregation, at least everybody thought he was a strong pillar, was Abraham Overholt. Abraham Overholt became involved in the industry of turning uh, coal into coke for the steel industry. He emphasized building big businesses in that community. And his children and grandchildren followed him. The Frick Manufacturing Company, which manufactured um, steam engines, uh, was a product of his son. His son had an, a goal of being a millionaire back in the 1800s before he was uh, about 30. And he met that goal because he was following grandfather's example of making money, making money, making money. And the young people in that congregation when the Civil War came, they simply went off into the army. An old 80-year-old grandfather would go off to the uh, prison camps to encourage the young people that he knew there. I don't know what all he was encouraging them, but I don't think it was encouraging them in the non-resistant faith of their forefathers. And so the congregation died. Then it was resurrected later on by new people coming in, but that whole generation was lost at the time of the Civil War. And unfortunately, old grandfather Overholt, uh, face remains. He started the uh, Abe Overholt Whiskey Company, which is still being produced in Kentucky, and his face still appears on the whiskey bottles. Um, to be remembered as a face on a whiskey bottle is not a heritage that we want. But that man's emphasis on making money and making money uh, rather than emphasizing the spiritual values uh, helped to lead that whole congregation away from Christ. The people became casual in their living, casual in their beliefs about non-conformity, and they became casual in their beliefs about non-resistance. One of the Mennonite groups that arose about this time, the Overholzer group, sometimes at one time called the General Conference Mennonites, asked the question after the Civil War, what shall we do with brothers who went off to war? The other Mennonites groups would have not called them brothers. 
But that group had already, by the Civil War, acculturated to the point where when their people went off to war, they didn't know what to do, and they finally said, we'll just allow each according to his individual conscience. And when you leave it to each individual conference, rather than the Brotherhood deciding together and working together, you end up with really nothing. I spend some time uh, working at, in the Shenandoah Valley at the Valley Brethren Mennonite Heritage Center. One of our purposes is to keep the stories of our faith communities alive, and we have emphasized the story of the Civil War there. But one of the sad things that I, remember, uh, that I have noticed, particularly among the Brethren people that I work with, they are very proud of their heritage. They're very proud of John Klein and his story, the man I talked about this morning who died because of his faith. They're very proud of that story, but they're also very proud of the fact that in their church, you make whatever decision you want to. Now, I don't think you can have it both ways. The Brotherhood has to agree, uh, agree together to stand on the principles of the scripture. If everybody goes off and does their own thing and everybody blesses everybody else, you end up with kind of a, a, a middle ground of nothing. And I'm glad for my brethren friends that I work with there and meet, but uh, it, it grieves my heart that uh, they want to emphasize their heritage, but living it today is not a strong thing. And so the strengths, it's the teachings of non-resistance are strengthened by the home church and the homes in living out their faith. Now, I told you that I'm going to ask, what are some other things that you may have? I have whole lists of things, but what are some things that have stood out to you as we've talked the last summer of sessions and have thought about it? What are some things that stand out to you as far as hanging on, no, not hanging on, promoting, living, passing on uh, beliefs in non-resistance and following Jesus? Give you some time for some reflection, hopefully reflection out loud. Uh, as, as you reflected over the last several sessions, what are some lessons that you think we could learn uh, from the experience of the Mennonites uh, in Virginia during the Civil War, or the Mennonite Church in the Civil War? We're 150 years from it, it's, it's past, it's history. But what can we learn from it? We cannot reproduce what they went through, but what can we learn from it? Or what questions do you have? Has it raised in your mind? Is that okay? The time to teach non-resistance is now, not in times of peace. In times of war, the pressures come, things are out of focus, some things are uh, 
blown out of proportion, and so we need to be focusing on our teachings of peace and non-resistance now while we have the opportunity. One thing that this study has helped me to realize is the fact that conscience, convictions develop slowly. Issues that they faced back in those days. Um, some of them we look back, for example, hiring substitutes. Say, how could they do that? The Brotherhood through the years developed a conviction that this was this was not the way to go. Those of us in our more traditional cultures and societies, our, our convictions developed slowly, our traditions changed slowly, both good and bad. Think of the tobacco issue that our people struggled with for many years. And finally, their conviction is quite general that tobacco is not a good thing to use. The same thing as we look back on these people. Non-combatant service where someone goes into the military and serves as a support person. Uh, today we say that's the, not the route to go. But these people, it took them a while to come to that conviction. Perhaps a simple story on that one helps me to understand about whether we should be involved as non-combatants serving in the military but not carrying a gun. A young man in West Virginia was called in before his draft board because he was, because he was, uh, had applied to be a conscientious objector and they were saying you should go into non-combatant service. And he said, if two of us are stealing a pig, and I hold the sack, I'm just as guilty as the man who puts the pig in the sack. I thought that was kind of a good way to say it. I'm just as guilty. I say that because I discovered with students young, uh, teaching that uh, our young people today, some of them are raising the question, well, what about non-combatant service? We won't go into the service to kill, but we'll go into the service and, and help people. And we need to learn to keep the lines clear. We need to keep talking about things so that convictions continue to, do, to develop. Some of our people in the Civil War gave money for the war effort. In some communities, there was a bonus given to anybody who joined the war, and some of our Mennonite people gave money so that they could send other people off rather than their own sons. Again, conscience developed, and we would say today, no, we do not deliberately give money to send somebody else in place of our family. Hiring of substitutes, again, became an issue that we have rejected. But it took time for that to develop. 
and let's continue to work on developing convictions. Another thing that the Civil War teaches us is to watch our language. In the diaries kept by Jacob R. Hildebrand in Augusta County, he was always talking about the enemy or our troops. Let's be careful that we don't identify with one side or the other in our talking about wars and military issues. Watch our language. Watch our language. We are part of the kingdom of heaven. And while we are citizens here, we need to be careful that we do not uh, speak in ways that make it sound like we are identifying with one or other sides in the conflicts around us. Do we have good, solid churches? Many of the young people who went into military service during the Civil War were from communities that were isolated from everybody else. Many of the Mennonites and Amish had moved into the Midwest, moved off to places because it was good land, cheap land, so forth, and they did not have strong churches, and their young people did not have good role models and the support of other church people. Make sure that our, we keep our congregations good and solid. Does the ministry connect with the young folks? Do the young folks connect with the older folks? A man who joined our church at Bank a number of years ago said one of the things that impresses him so much uh, when he came to this church, he said, the young people talk to me. He said, I came from a church where the old people and the young people never talked to each other. And he said, at this church, young people talk say, hi, Steve, how's it going? And that has impressed him as an older Christian in the 70s. And that needs to be a working together, a strong, solid church. Yes, we need to send our young people out into service activities, into places where they need to go in service, but they need to have a strong base to come back to, a strong base at home that they know is supporting them. Give a little picture someone gave us at home that said about your young people, give them roots and give them wings. Give them a strong place to come back to. Give them a strong place to come back to. Our young people need praying families. That God would lead them. That God would lead their children. We need to have families that respect our government. We make requests. We do not demand our rights. And even when there's times when we need to disobey, as with the Underground Railroad that our people had, uh, there need to be a respect for the basic authority of the government which God has ordained. That is taught to us in Romans uh, 13. There needs to be an accepting of what comes. 
an accepting of suffering, an accepting of misunderstandings. It needs to be an accepting that in God's plan and purpose for us, this time and this place where he has called us to is what he is calling us to go through, and we need to accept that as his will for us. We need to accept the fact that public mood changes rapidly. We do not build our convictions and our practices on what the community is saying, what the community thinks. But we build our convictions on what Jesus said and live them out. We need to be committed to following Jesus regardless of what other churches and other Christians do. We want to be friendly, we want to be neighborly, but we also want to keep our commitment to Christ primary. And what he says, uh, we are to do. Sometimes we complicate things a whole lot. We want to argue all kinds of issues and so forth. But on this whole matter of non-resistance, I like to go back to what my uh, friend Dwayne Tucker uh, said one time. Dwayne Tucker came from a rather rough-and-tumble family. He said, these Mennonites are always saying, uh, I can't fight. He said, I could. He said, I grew up in a family and we could fight. But then he said, uh, I became a Christian and I have a new commander-in-chief. Jesus is my commander-in-chief. And he says, my commander-in-chief has ordered me not to fight. And so I didn't fight. He didn't partake in warfare and anything like that. One time, he was working at a village where they do have a reconstructed village, working in the, as an artisan. And uh, he said a seven, uh, five-star general came through there, and we were chatting. And then Dwayne said, in our talk, he explained to him about his non-resistant faith. And Dwayne used that phrase, my commander-in-chief has ordered me not to fight. And Dwayne said, and that's the kind of language a five-star general can understand. If the general says, go into battle, you go into battle. As a soldier, you will die. But as soldiers of Jesus Christ, our commander-in-chief has ordered us not to fight. In our understanding of the two kingdoms, in our understanding of the two kingdoms, kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world, we are called from one kingdom to another. And when Jesus offered his kingdom to various people, some of them did turn and walk away. But the rich young ruler, it was money, and Jesus said to him, uh, it says that Jesus said it was sorrowful. Jesus looked after him sorrowfully, but did not go chasing after him. And some will choose to walk away. Let's make sure that if those walk away, they do not walk away because in bitterness we have looked down on them, in bitterness we have rejected them, 
let's make sure that in all our relationships we reach out with love. And there are many people in our communities and world that are hurting. One of the things that we have not explored, and that is, what about hurting veterans? Veterans who have had a past military life and are hurting because of experiences they've had. And we as non-resistant Christians are struggle a little bit how to relate there. But it's something perhaps we need to learn to do and perhaps one of our biggest things we can do is listen and hear other people's stories and point them to Christ. We are not going to completely change society. We are not going to become the minority, majority. Christianity, particularly non-resistant Christianity, will be a minority thing. But Jesus calls us to faithfulness. Jesus calls us to faithfulness. Non-resistance must be woven into all of life. It is not just a matter of war. It is all of life. Your relationship with your neighbor, your relationship with your neighbor's dog, your relationship with whatever happens, you need to be clear that you are going to be one who's trying to work through problems, work through problems. We need to be teaching our non-resistant beliefs to this generation. It is to be woven through all of life. It is not just verbal. It is not just uh, something that you talk about, but it needs to be lived out. That true Christians are not avenging. True Christians are non-resistance. Resistance. World War II, about 50% of our old Mennonite young men went into military service. That's half. Some of the Mennonite groups, a large, larger percent than that, went into military service. And that was in the era where a great deal of teaching was done. And the answer was going to come through all kinds of teaching. And it didn't work. It needs to be lived out in daily life. It needs to be taught. And it needs to be accepted as the standard of the church. We need a solid church that will support the youth. We need our publishings. We need our stories. We have the Martyr's Mirror. Various groups have various books. And during the Civil War, some of those books came out and did have an influence. A book on non-resistance made its way across the seas to Russia. And a Russian nobleman by the name of Leo Tolstoy picked up a book written by a Lancaster Mennonite and began reading about non-resistance and decided that that was the way of Christ. Those of you in your literature classes will get Leo Tolstoy's, Leo Tolstoy's stories. And his choice to become a non-resistant Christian came from his contact 
with the book that he found from America. The books are there. We need to get them out so that people can read them. One of the books that I don't know if you have had a lot of exposure to is the book Aaron's Civil War, the story of a young Old Order Mennonite fellow. Well, he wouldn't have been Old Order yet, but a, 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 a Stauffer Mennonite fellow who uh, ran away from home and joined the army and came home disillusioned with the Civil War and uh, came back to his church brotherhood. It's written in a, a way that is um, real to life. I like the books that are being produced, but some of them are a little bit too preachy. Aaron's Civil War, if you haven't read that book, is not a preachy book. It simply tells the story and then leaves it for us to decide how we will react. The Civil War was a dark time and it cost many people many things. The times in which we live are times that are challenging. Let's live faithfully in the time and way God has called us. Out of the Civil War came a new desire for Mennonite people to reach out to others. After the Civil War, Mennonite people began going out in circuit-riding preachers, preaching in various communities, and the church began to grow. But there were also those who saw the Civil War as a time to look back on old values. And out of the Civil War, you have the rising of Amish who were old order and Amish who were progressive. Out of the Mennonite church, you have those who chose the old order and those who chose the more progressive ways. And both of them were desiring to be faithful. And sometimes we look at the outward symbols and forget that the inward core was a desire to faithfully follow Christ. And then, one more thing. There was a legacy of distrust and hate came out from the war. When people went back and tried to make claims for property that was stolen, their neighbors rose up in indignation and said, this is not right for you to do that. The Bible talks about suffering the stealing of our goods uh, quietly. I don't know what all that means, but it means that we are respectful of the feelings of our neighbors around us. A willingness to share, a willingness to be people known to be givers, people who are interested in all kinds of people. And one of the legacies that came out of the Civil War was Simply, people did not trust each other. And we need to do what we can 
to build, tear down walls of distrust. I just met a lady the other week, and her family name is Yank. They were good Confederates. And she said, when my family used to come to town after the war, people looked at us with suspicion because of our name. I say that not because we need to worry about names and things like that, but we live in a world where people do not trust each other. People are suspicious of each other. And let us live openly before our neighbors, openly in our communities, so that they know that we are followers of Christ. I don't like to use personal stories, but I, during the Vietnam War, I was a conscientious objector working in Atlanta, Georgia, in an ambulance department of a hospital, inner city hospital. And we often talked about many issues and the time between ambulance drives. And uh, one of my co-workers said, uh, some of these conscientious objectors, I, I think they're communists. I think they're communists. But he said, I think you do what you do because you follow Jesus. And I think that that's what we want to get across. The people in that era wanted to get across that what they did was because they followed Jesus. And in our day and what we may face in the future, Let's do what we do because we follow Jesus. I think I'll stop there unless someone has questions or comments that they'd like to make. Help me out, someone. The greatest weakness. Totally, why? Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think we need to tell our stories so they're not forgotten. <clears throat> the Pentecostal movement, I don't know how strong the Pentecostal movement is in this community. The Pentecostal movement was non-resistant from the start, and they forgot it. The Assemblies of God, which is the fastest growing church, at one point was non-resistance, and some of the, some of the Young people in the, Apenica, in the uh, Assemblies of God Church suddenly are waking up. Why was great-grandfather in civilian public service? Because we didn't believe it was right to go into the military. And they sit and say, what? We never heard it. In just a few generations, it was lost because the stories were not lived in past 
And doctrinally, yes, we need to teach in any way we can. But let's not forget our stories. Mm -hmm. Family influences, congregational influences. I was an oddball. I loved to do church history when I was young. Uh, but uh, they were all influences. But I remember after I had things in place, I remember the, the, the doubts that went through my mind. And I was coming down Lincoln Highway in Pennsylvania traveling. And, and there was a big billboard that had a, a couple of candles, and one of them was burning, and it said, uh, keep your faith like the world. It was kind of a thing, you know, God was kind of reminding me that, you know, this is what you're called to do, and to be faithful in that. And then I, I was a second conscientious objector from Palatine County. And... Uh, one of the things I realized as people said, well, where are you going? And I explained where I was going. And the old man at the feed mill, it just it couldn't figure out you know, why someone would go into some kind of alternative service rather than going into the army. And I realized that I was going to leave. But it was my family, my friends who met that, and the, the brotherhood who met that man on an ongoing basis are going to have to live out consistently their beliefs. You know, we can send our young people off to various kind of service places. But uh, those at home are going to need to faithfully uh, live out the teachings of Christ. <laughs>